Hello and welcome to the Honest EP podcast, where the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name's Archie, I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches, and joining me as always is Allied Health business owner, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? I'm very well, Archie. I am, uh, I'm nestling a ballistic beer company, Hawaiian Haze Pale Ale, this afternoon, which is a bit of a mouthful. A bit of a mouthful, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's quite fruity, isn't it? It's super fruity. It's super, super fruity. It's, it does say that there is a flavor explosion, uh, which it certainly ticks that box. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, uh, it even breaks down all of your malt, hops, and yeast, which is necessary, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> if you care. That good kind of good information to know, I suppose. Everything. There's Citra, Racal, and Pacifica hops. Excellent. I don't know what any of that means. Do you know what hops are? I don't actually. I I, I no. Yeah, I don't know what hops are either. Good. I think we're just beer drinkers, not <laughs> beer connoisseurs. No, and that's fine. Mm. Be very good. Yeah, very good. Um, you may have noticed there was a name change at the start there. Uh, we are moving forward with a new name, and the new name is the Honest EP Podcast. And the, the reason for that is because we kind of realized over the first five episodes that this is kind of what we do. We just, our main thing is we just want to kind of give very honest opinions and have honest conversations about uh, our experiences and what we've found and relay that to the community. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of these conversations that are not being had and a little bit, not taboo, but people just kind of go, oh, we don't need to have that. And I think it's nice that we can sit down and have a beer and have that conversation. I agree. I think it's an excellent name. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's, it's almost like you were part of the process. <laughs> I know, right? How exciting. Mm. What, are we, uh, what are we having an honest conversation about today? We mentioned it last week and our topic today is... Are we undervaluing ourselves as allied health practitioners? It's a meaty one. Mm. Uh, there's a lot in there. And look, you can take this in a lot, a lot of different ways. And I think we want to, to not spread too far or too thin, uh, but keep the combination focused around value and what value means, how we value ourselves. Are we over or undervaluing ourselves? Um, and all the nuances between that kind of area. Uh, Let me start, and I'll throw a ball at you. Uh, Are we undervaluing ourselves as healthcare practitioners, Andrew? I think we can be. I think sometimes we undervalue ourselves. I think there are ways that practitioners walk into roles and they don't feel like they can give the same level of value as they might th- might have thought they would be able to, uh, not because of anything that they've done, but more based of the the description that the clinic has given or the owner has given about how you are going to do your role and mm. what that will look like from from what actually happens in a consult, how long those consults go for, mm. what the pre 
screening or the the before the consult happens like what the communication is so i think there's there's lots of ways that we can find or 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 not be able to give that same level of value as if we had choice over those things this is we will obviously flesh this topic out a lot more as we chat through but i think we can undervalue ourselves and not just from a, a financial perspective, but also like the impact that we're having. Oh, interesting. Okay. In a client's. Yeah. As in, we may not realize how important our role may be in someone's life. Hmm. Mm. I think that's actually quite easy to do. Um, and I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think we realize that a lot of times, uh, and an example just came to my mind is over Christmas when we might often take a week or two weeks off and we have a lot of clients uh kind of go well what do you mean you're closed Mm. it's like what am i supposed to do it's like i don't know go spend um holidays with you know family or do christmas things um they go but you know this is what i do you know i have to come here a couple times a week or whatever and it's like oh shit i didn't really realize that uh what we were doing yeah what what we're doing meant that much to you or was that valuable to you Mm. that's quite interesting to me so do you think we undervalue ourselves? I, I'm still quite young. And from that point of view, from, from my point of view as a reasonably still a young practitioner, uh, I would say that no, I do not feel like uh, I am undervaluing myself. I don't feel like I should be asking for more uh, in asking for more from clients in exchange for the value that I'm giving. Um, if you asked me this three, four years ago, I think I would have said the opposite and said, I feel like I am overvaluing myself. That's an interesting concept. Yeah, that, and, and I had to think about this and that comes from as a fresh practitioner coming into a business where um, people are paying a certain price, if we're talking about financial value, um, they're paying a certain price for our service and that price is the same whether I'm a new practitioner, I'm three years out, I'm five years out. Um, And that felt like a lot of pressure and it can feel like, and and I've heard this from other new grads, that it can feel like a lot of pressure to come in and go, shit, I'm now supposed to provide a hundred dollars worth of value over the next 45 minutes to an hour here. And, and I don't feel like my knowledge or my skills can give that enough. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the, the jobs I worked during uni, I, I was barely paid more than 30 bucks an hour. And now this person's supposed to pay me a hundred bucks an hour for my service. Like what, what do I have to do? Mm. What do I have to do? Surely I can't just do exercise with this person and talk to them and they go, yeah, that was worth my time. Um, I think a lot of this was imposter syndrome and kind of not realizing that it's like, oh, okay, I'm actually providing quite a good service and this person values my experience and uh, my so-called expertise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I I think as you get more experience, you become okay with that. And the people who do well, you know, understand that in private practice, there is a money side of business, mm. uh, and 
the service we provide is quite valuable to people. I think that's where that comes from. How do you know it's valuable to people? That's a really good question. I think there's a couple ways. I think for foremost, they want to come back. Whether, whether I ask them to come back or not, they want to come back. And that tells me that it's like, okay, that I obviously provided enough value for them there. Maybe, maybe they were like, sweet, this is the best deal ever. I, he's going to spend 45 minutes or an hour with me. And all I have to do is you know, turn up and, and hand over a little bit of money. I was like, wow, what a great deal. And maybe they think that we're undervaluing ourselves, uh, but that, that's a good way to, to know that they value us. Mm. Um, what about you? I think when, when I was practicing, I, I think I went through a very similar process to what you went through mm. in terms of, I couldn't fathom that people would pay what they paid to come and see me as a, mm. as a private practitioner when I first started. And I then felt like I was almost obliged to email them every second day mm. and to phone call them and see how they're going and to do all of this additional work mm. that made me feel like I was providing a value that was somehow equivalent in my mind yeah. to the dollars that they mm. ended up paying me. So I can, I can definitely relate to that. I think that there's, there's also, uh, uh, like you, you touched on it there with, um, kind of, we, we at, at our clinic, we don't have different rates for mm. different practitioners, mm. uh, within the same profession. And we'll come, we'll come back to that one a bit later. Um, like we don't have a, a seniors rate or a whatever rate. Mm. It's just the, the same rate. Um, and we, but, but we've tried that process. We mm. have tried splitting that up. And we, we found that there wasn't really any difference there. Clients still felt like they got the same value mm. from the session, irrespective of who they saw mm. or that, actually that's not true, irrespective of what they paid. Because mm. obviously different practitioners have got different strengths and different areas that they like to, to work in. And so you might say that when you, mm. as someone who likes to, to see people in chronic pain, find that, that that just gels with you and you feel like naturally you are able to give a certain level of value. Mm. Whereas if you saw a different client, it might be harder to mm. give that same level mm. of value just because of Is that your experience. I think it ine inevitably becomes about experience. Mm. When you're a new grad, you just don't know mm. what you don't know. So you don't know that there might be a difference in the way that you are communicating with someone. Yeah. Or, you know, we, we've spoken before about how new grads like to get into the consult room and, and oftentimes just talk yeah. and feel like, the, feel like the value that they give is through how many words can I get out during yeah. this one hour? Period? How much information can I put onto this person? Yeah. Mm. And that comes from a good place. Mm. That comes from a place of I'm trying to help. And I feel like the best way to help is to mm. unload on people. Mm. And they feel like, or they feel that this is 
how I'm going to get value mm. from this. Mm. What you learn is that it's actually the opposite, is that we should be ending up spending more time listening rather than talking. And so you can, funnily enough, give more value by saying less, just more meaningfully. So it's almost instead of us unloading information onto them, it's them kind of unloading information onto us, us processing it, and then finding the right way to talk to them about that. Or working, our value comes from then, after processing that information, being able to lead them down the right way, guide them down the right road. Mm. Mm. Very, very interesting there. Very, very interesting. Because that's what I feel like, particularly when my when I when I was starting out, and there were a lot of clients that would come to me saying, "Oh, I've tried personal training, and I've tried this, and I've tried that, and all they did was tell me to buy their program, right? Or all they did was yell at me, mm. or all they did was not listen to me, and just like." You must do it this way. You mm. must do it my way. And when I realized that that didn't work mm. for most people, it was like, okay, well, how can I provide more value to people, more value to people than the people that those clients had already seen? Because mm. I want to help the client, yeah. but I don't want to end up doing the same thing that hasn't worked for them yeah. again and again. Mm. And part of that process was realizing that Maybe this person just needs to be listened to for a little while. Mm. And maybe they, the value that I can give is just being a bit of a sounding board mm. for them. And just kind of, when it came to the, the exercise point of it, just kind of point them in the right direction and give them some reassurance. Yeah, yeah. That's quite interesting. Um, and so I guess on that point, we've said that we found that it didn't work having different rates for different practitioners, depending on how much experience they have. I think another reason why that can be a disadvantage almost, um, having different rates for different practitioners is uh, a newer practitioner will go and look at that and go, oh, okay, my service isn't uh, deemed as valuable. And that, that might, to, uh, give the confidence a bit of a hit? I'd say it would. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we always want to be pushing new grads to be able to provide more value to their clients. And if you set the bar too low, hmm. where's the incentive to kind of, to do more? Hmm. And so I think we, we, we standardize that. Hmm. And look, we're, we're talking here about our business and, mm. and this is something that is unique to us and people might have a different experience to that and that's mm. fine. Mm. Where where we just changed our name to the Honest Eat People <laughs> podcast, so this is just an honest perspective. We like I said before, we, we ended up there there wasn't a difference in value that was given. Mm. Like a new grad was able to come in and provide the same value to a client mm. than a more experienced practitioner. So although there might have been some self-confidence or some imposter syndrome or something like that, mm. the actual value was, was very similar. So why would you charge more for someone that just has been wearing the EP hat for a few more years? That's a very good point. 
um, the, the, the opposite yeah. argument to that yeah. would be that, well, um, I'm paying those people more generally. Yeah. Um, if someone's been in, the, in their role for 10 years, they're mm. probably being paid more mm. for that experience. Um, and that margin has got to be made up somewhere. Um, so I'm going to charge them out more. I think uh, also, you know, a lot of EPs or, or a lot of health professionals as well, they like to have the conversations with their employers or they should like to have the conversations with their employers about, I want a pay rise. And there's different ways that an employer can see that conversation. Mm-hmm. And one way would be, okay, well, if you want to earn... more Mm. I'm just going to put your rates up by Mm. 10% and therefore we'll just that's the way that we'll it evens out even out and you end up then with different people or different practitioners on different rates Mm. and how then do you know how then do you know which rate or are the rates equal in value with what they're giving to the client so then it kind of puts the clients in a weird position where they might go to a clinic where they don't necessarily see a specific practitioner let's go well why am i paying more to see this person than i am this person Mm. it's like oh well they've been uh they've got this many more years experience and they've been doing blah 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 blah. it's like oh well why is you know why is going to the cheaper one an option then it's like shouldn't you just be providing me really good value for all of your sessions Mm. I agree, and that's exactly why we don't, because we don't want to. We don't want the comparison, mm. because we want to help the new grads get trained up in a way that they can deliver the same value mm. as a as a more experienced practitioner that doesn't relate to cost. Yeah, yeah. and I think where we cost ourselves out is that you know we're probably mid to high on the cost to see an EP scale. I don't know why? exactly. Why Why have we positioned ourselves mid to high rather than mid to low, at the bottom cheapest, at the top most expensive? Mm. Why mid to high? That is a great question and there's a few answers to it. We... It, it ever it evolutionized I just made that word up that's great but it, it evolutionized Why? over time we'll copyright that word <laughs> <laughs> because the rates that we have today aren't the same rates that we had two years ago and they're not the same rates that we had 10 years ago so over time they have increased mm. as they've increased so have our expenses mm. we've gone from running PT sessions in a park Mm. to having some clinics to now having a big clinic with lots of equipment. And as, as rates have gone up, costs Mm. have gone up because in order to provide a sense of value to clients, they want to come in and be in a nice space to feel like it's a, not a sterile environment. Mm with shitty old carpet mm. and stained ceilings yeah and your like our our previous clinic our waiting room was the hallway between the kitchen and the bathroom yeah that was not ideal, <laughs> was it 
the bathrooms were loud as well. The bathrooms were loud. There's a lot of echo. Yeah. You could hear most things. <sighs> so, especially the physios. Bow <laughs> movement. So, so, yep. So, <laughs> so our our rates have gone up over time, and they've gone up in in alignment with the the overheads associated with a business. We could have chosen not to do that, though. Mm. We could have chosen to bulk bill. Mm. We could have chosen to sit at that low end, well, at the low end, because there really? is no, there is no more lower than you can go than bulk billing. No, true. I suppose. Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly the Medicare rate is. Um, you'd be silly if you went like, oh no, we'll, we'll give you. <laughs> Medicare. No, I'll pay you. No, 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 no. Take the five dollars ten cents back. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Please do. <laughs> Why well, I don't deserve it. No. <laughs> um, and and part of the reason why we don't do that is that there is a a a system that would be required in order to make that mm. work. Mm. So in order to to bring in the same amount of revenue that we are bringing in in a bulk build setting in a bulk build setting so we're talking about trying to provide can yeah can you provide that same value in a bulk build setting Mm. I think it's hard okay I think it's hard I don't think it's impossible but I think it's pretty hard because you are constrained and you're you're constrained to the how many people you can see in a day and if you if you're deciding that you're going to bulk bill, then and and you have overheads and you want to pay yourself a certain amount, then what what gets what the the lowest common denominator there becomes is how much time I'm going to spend with people. Yeah. So instead of spending an hour with someone, I'm going to spend twenty minutes with someone. Mm. And so to, to the question before yeah. of, of can you provide the same value in 20 minutes mm. as you would in an hour, mm. I think that's challenging. Yes. Especially because now more than ever, there's such an emphasis in allied healthcare that our job is, just, is not just our modality. Our job is very much... Uh, Behavioral modification, communication, full, you know, behavior change strategies, these sorts of things, taking into account not just the physical, but the, the full biopsychosocial factors to do with someone's reason for coming to see you. Mm. And trying to address that in 20 minutes, as opposed to 45 minutes or an hour, I feel like that's where the difference is made up. I feel like in 20 minutes, I would still be able to provide exercise prescription as an EP. I would still be able to provide programming. But can I provide the other stuff that makes me uh, a modern day art health practitioner? I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know if I can do that. Mm. I, I very much agree. Um, it, it would be incredible. Like, I, you'd be just warming up like you'd just be finishing the warm up that's it before people would be yeah sort of wrapping up and, and saying goodbye and mm. 
to, to address so many of those concerns that people have when they mm. walk through the door in a very short space of time. And perhaps then to, to allow them to walk out the door feeling like that was valuable. Mm. I got a lot from that 20 yeah. minute session. That's it. Would be very challenging. So if, if that's the way that they approached mm. their first, you know, five EP mm. Medicare sessions, why would they keep coming back mm. if you, if you can't, if you don't feel value yeah. to that? Yeah. I think it's, it's very challenging mm. to do that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it'd be really hard. Cause there are situations where it happens and it's quite common and we can talk about, um, say physio or chiro clinics that provide kind of 15 to 20 minute uh, appointment times mm. um, and when we talk about one way of measuring value is if people want to come back people very very often want to go back so uh, people are pl therefore placing value on that service mm. um, I find it interesting then and it, there'd be great people to learn from as to how do you actually provide that value what skills do you focus on or how do you get to the point with that client where you can go, we can provide you enough value for you to say, yes, I love coming back in 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's a really, really good skill to have. It's, it's a great skill to have. Mm. I, I believe that there's, there's ways to do that, right? So it, your, your value or your perceived value mm. could could exist before somebody even meets you for the first time, mm. right? In in the example of a of a Cairo, for example, let's say you've got a, a sore whatever, and it's been going on for a long time, and you feel like this is frustrating and it's mm. stopping me from doing all of these things, and then you meet a GP and they say, "This guy, mm. you go and see this Cairo, and they will fix your back," mm. and they've been wonderful with hundreds. Mm. of my patients as a GP that I've sent to them mm. and they are terrific and mm. they will fix you and you go there and mm. you just do what they say. Mm. Before you've even stepped into that room, you have this expectation of, mm. okay, well, I'm going to go in. They're probably going to assess me. They're probably going to do something. They might give me a plan. Hopefully they give me a plan. And the value then is mm. it's almost like there. You just have yeah. to take it mm. and if that's done really well mm. and you walk in and the space is very nice and the mm. the practitioner that you meet is very friendly and mm. you feel like there's a rapport there, mm. sign me up, like yeah. I'm done. Mm. Even if you told me that, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to come in a couple of times a week. I'll do your, your adjustment mm. for 15 minutes. Mm. Um, you might see the massage therapist at mm. the same time. And that's, mm. that is what you need mm. in order to fix your back. Mm. Fantastic. So it's the, client, it's the client experience value. then. It's the client experience that equals value. Mm. I, I think so. No, definitely. I think that by, by looking at that scenario, you go, there's, there's lots of factors outside of the actual interaction that I mm. have with someone that leads to the perceived mm. value that I can give mm. them. It's, it's important. And, and Cairo is a great model where mm. they, they do this fantastically mm. well. Mm. the good ones do this fantastically mm. well um, that they can show people value mm. in a very short space of time yeah. and allow that, that person to, 
to improve. Mm. Which is so true. Like, if you are going to be doing a passive modality that is going to help with pain modification um, and, you know, basically reducing symptoms and helping someone to recovery on a rehab plan, why not do that in the fastest way possible where the person gets the value as fast as possible? That, like, see, so that's interesting. Like, if I, if someone can get the same feeling, the same experience in 15 minutes as um, someone else can do it in 45 minutes, as a time efficient person, I'd want the 15 minute version. Mm. Absolutely. But then I guess that completely depends on the client. It clearly depends how they perceive value. Do they perceive value as experience and feeling or do they perceive value as my time? And mm. so it's like, well, if they, uh, if I'm going to pay this much, I must, I'm going to have to be there for at least this long for them to, you know, be able for me to pay that much. I'm going to have to be there for a very, very long time at least. Mm. Or they kind of person's like, am I going to feel good when I leave there? Whether that feeling takes five minutes or an hour, I don't care. I just want to feel good. Mm. That's interesting. So then I, I guess it, it completely depends on how the person looks at value. Time yeah. or experience. Yeah. And I think that uh, clients can look at it in both ways. And so then it completely depends on them and this is this is often the struggle with business owners right is that and and practitioners as well is that you try to create an offering that mm. will suit everybody mm. but what what you realize is that everybody's a little bit different yeah. and so what one person wants mm. might be very different mm. to what another person wants mm. one person might go to a physio and not want to be touched yeah and just want to to do movement and do exercise mm. whereas another one if you're not spending 40 minutes doing manual therapy, it's just been a complete waste of time yeah. and, and mm. not valuable mm. to them. Mm. So, so. Well, at that point, as a practitioner, you kind of have to go, look, this is not how I provide my value. You may be better suited seeing this person instead. Do you think many people do that? Look, I think if you've got a client, well, who's going is like, what, why is my appointment done? We've only been here 15 to 20 minutes. Why is it done? Um, you've got to make a decision as a practitioner where it's like, oh shit, okay, I'll spend half an hour 45 with you just because that's how you perceive value is time. Mm. Um, or if that's a waste of your time, I'm going, no, that's not what I do best. My experience and my profession and... Uh, my studies have taught me to uh, provide value in this way and, and generally it takes this long. I'm going to be fluffing about and making small talk for another half an hour if we keep going. Mm. That's a waste of my time and your time. You're better off going and seeing this person who does that. Me personally, because I value my time, <laughs> that's how I do it. Mm. If... If I'm seeing a client and I feel like I can help them in half an hour um, and get everything I would like to do with them done in half hour. Uh... Mm. See, it's interesting, right? Because this is something that we, we do notice in new grads. 
particularly on the time thing is that they'll often go over time. Mm. They will often try and and do more. Like they'll they'll creep five or ten minutes past mm. their appointment mm. sort of finishing time mm. in order to provide more value. Mm because they're correlating their value with time. And with that payment at the end, it's like, and with, oh shit, they're about to <laughs> tap their card. Oh, no. I better quickly. Yeah, quick, let's do some. Yeah. You see, it's funny, right? Because um, what, what I got taught when I was doing PT was like, ah, oh, you know, the last thing you do mm. is you do a bit of abs because people like to, to, <laughs> yeah, to, to feel sore. <laughs> or you do some bicep curls because people like to feel good in the mirror. Oh, and then you just stretch people's hamstrings. Because everybody, <laughs> It's always nice to have your hamstring stretch and, and it feels kind of good and then you stand up and go, oh, wow, look at me. I feel oh, a bit taller, right? Shit, it's so true. Oh, <laughs> it's like, great, there's there's the value. Do you feel good? You feel good, right? You feel great. How, how oh, good do your hamstrings yeah. feel? Yeah, how sore your stomach muscles yeah, are. You must awesome. have worked hard today. So hard. Or let's jump on the bike and sprint for five minutes. <laughs> look how sweaty you are. You're so out of breath. Oh, you've done a great session. Great session. Good well on you. Oh, wow. So much value. The, the, the other 55 minutes must have been great as well. <laughs> You're sweaty now, right? <laughs> <laughs> we just talked and did nothing. Yeah, exactly. Honestly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You're still in your first beer. I am. It's going... It's, it's very fruity. Oh, it's finished. Okay, right. You're good. All right. So let's let's change track a little bit. One of the things that we we notice is that there, there can be a bit of a discrepancy between what physios oh, charge... That's a great How oh, good did that sound? I love that noise. Between what a physio charges and what an EP charges. Hmm. Is now is that? Um, so uh, I think that's very common. That's very common. So for the for the, a forty five minute session, mm. uh, a physio might charge more. Yeah. Not might. I would say more often than not, mm. they would charge more. Why? Why do you think that happens? So the, the, the price is not set by the client. The price is set, now I'm not a business owner, you are. Uh, but from, from what I know, the, price, the clients don't set the price. The, the price is set by the owner, the business owner. And they have made a decision, whether conscious or not on purpose, that the physio rate is this and the EP rate is this. Or, uh, the physio rate is this and the massage therapist rate is this or what not what not now that how is this decided that's a good question mm. by by chance sometimes i think it depends on on the type of clinic that you are in okay like let's let's take a, a more like a physio historical clinic. approach yeah. where you have a physio who owns the business that then brings mm. in an EP. Pretty common, right? Pretty common. Yeah. And they feel that the, that EP's role is to see the the clients of the physios mm. after they've finished their treatment. Yeah. Client comes in, assessed by a physio, diagnosis is made. Mm. Some touching happens. <laughs> so they, they feel good. And then as a way to kind of keep that person as part of the clinic for a bit longer, mm. that the physio would then hand over a treatment plan to the EP and say, this is what it is. Mm. This is what we've done. Mm. This is the plan moving forward. Mm. 
just follow my program. Yeah. And all the hard stuff is done. All the hard stuff is done. Mm. So then you think about that from a few different perspectives. You think about that from the owner of the physio clinic and they say, well, they don't have to do as much technical work. They don't have to do as much, like there's not as much knowledge associated with the process that the physiotherapist went through. So just kind of programming and following yeah so stage rehab so why would i why Mm. would i cost those two things Mm. at the same price even if it was the same same level and then for the client who's going through that process if the the bulk of it's done by physio first and then they go okay now we're going to discharge you to this other service and that service is exactly the same they go well why Mm. why don't you just do it then exactly right there has to be like an incentive to be passed over and people feel that that incentive should be a, a decrease or a discount mm. in price. whereas the incentive should be no this person is more experienced and has more of an expertise in this part of your rehab yeah that's the way that it should be mm. and that's why the rate should be mm. even mm. but it is not often it's not often very interesting yeah on, on, a, on a, a similar kind of area where different schemes uh, across, across the board of professions, different schemes will kind of fund different amounts uh, uh, for services. So if we compare, say, work cover to DVA to NDIS, all three of them would have a different hourly or half hourly rate. Is that how how do we as practitioners or how are we as practitioners supposed to see that? Should we, because work cover, um, we can bill more for work cover sessions, should we be providing those clients with more value than we should for a NDIS client or a DBA client because those bodies don't pay as much? I would I would love for this to be a debate topic because oh. I feel like that's a that's a, a really uh, really interesting topic. We can come back to it. Look, I as as a person that looks at a client, right? I I see a client. I don't see Bob from Workcover and mm. Mary from the NDIS. I just mm. see those people. Mm. So I I don't think the value that we give those people should be any different because Mm. we are just treating the person rather than the scheme Mm. that they come to us from. Definitely. Um, But I I could also see why it would be easy to fall into that trap Mm. of saying, oh, and we get this, we get this regularly is, um, oh, you're on your Medicare five visits. Mm. And so you're going to be here for the five visits and we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm going to discharge you. Mm. It's like, well, you're treating that person based off the scheme that they're under rather than treating the person themselves. Mm. So how are they going to feel from a perception of value Mm. where I feel like, okay, my doctor's only said I get five sessions. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, Mm. you know, get out of chronic pain or manage my metabolic condition or you know, whatever it is mm. in 
five sessions and mm. this this therapist keeps talking to me about oh we've only got five sessions together like where's the value there mm. you, you're already pre-framing this as a we are, are going to end at a very defined point in time mm. uh if you don't see value well yeah that's that's a that's a shame what why should we give a lesser uh service if uh, just because someone has come under a certain scheme exactly right yeah and, and that one that one bugs me the the medicare one bugs me that we pre-frame in our heads mm. that we we only need to see this person five times mm. or you know whatever it says on the mm. referral form yeah therefore i need to spread this out and go I'll see you now and I'll see you in two months mm. and that way we can make make it through the whole year with continuity of service whereas if that exact same person came in under work cover mm. it would look different and if that yeah. exact same person came in under NDIS mm. it would look different and if mm. the exact same person was paying out of their own pocket mm. it would look different and that's that's bullshit like we that should bullshit. look at the person yeah and have the discussion with them about what they think mm. they need what mm. they think value looks like mm. because although we don't ask that question we ask yeah. questions kind of what's meaningful to you mm. how do you think i can help you to mm. to achieve these things um and then lay out a bit of a treatment map for mm. them mm. it shouldn't matter which scheme they come under mm. to have that conversation no no it should not and that that annoys me mm. and this leans into bulk billing right mm. so if you if you decided you're going to set up a clinic mm. and all you're going to do you're going to set up in a medical center and you're just going to bulk bill because mm. you have to because that's what the medical center says and so because you can't see people that are outside of an EPC you are limited to those five sessions mm. the medical center also says okay we well, have to do 30 minute sessions mm. or 20 minute sessions mm. How are you going to give that same level of value? Can't. That's bloody hard. It's hard. Yeah. The the nature of not just our profession, but of most healthcare professions, is that we don't provide a service where um, things are fixed. We don't really work with that kind of mindset of like, I will fix you. And that will happen in this many appointments. That doesn't really work that way. Mm. We know. We know that it doesn't work. We know that it doesn't work that mm. way. Yeah. It just. It's not. That's not how world. That's, that's not how the body works. Mm. You know, in most things. Mm. Look, I want to. I want to have some main takeaways here. Some main nuggets. And um, one of the first ones, I think, which is very, very relevant for new grads and or less experienced practitioners perhaps is that um, it's not unusual to feel like you you can't provide enough value or you're not worth the price or it's very very hard to have that conversation about oh and, and this is how much it costs to cost to come and see me I, I don't think it's worth it you know that kind of thing and they can they can read that through whatever you're actually saying to them mm. um, there is most likely a bit of imposter syndrome going on there if you don't know what imposter syndrome is look it up YouTube it there are plenty of good videos there um, but it's basically like you not really realising 
that your experience and your expertise is there. Mm. How, how, how what? How does someone who feels that way, Mm. how do they get over that? This is actually quite interesting. I, I don't think you ever fully get over an element of imposter syndrome. I think it was a, a Simon Sinek video that you put me onto. Um, and he, uh, he was telling a story about himself where he'd started a, a business, a new business, and he uh, got nominated for an entrepreneurial award in his local area. And he went there, he's like, oh shit, I do not feel like I belong here. You know, I just started a very, very small company um, and there are all these big wigs here and he, and he won it. And he's like, oh shit, here we go. And then he went to national awards and the same thing. He's like, I've just got this very, very small business and we're not that good. And all these people here have got thousands of employees and crazy amount of profit and all these world changing things. Um, and here I am this very, very small company where just do little things. And, and he won that award as well for the best entrepreneur. And then he went to the international one, the world awards, and he found someone and was talking to a business owner who was a billionaire and had on a multinational company with thousands and thousands of employees, very, very successful. And the guy asked him, was like, you look nervous. And he goes, I don't feel like I belong here. Um, and the guy told him, it's like, don't worry, me neither. <laughs> and I think the moral of that story is that if you don't have an element of that, you're not really driven to improve. You're not really driven to go, shit, I don't feel like I'm, uh, I'm there. I've succeeded. It's like, good. Continue to learn. Continue to get more experience. Mm. Continue to practice. So I think that is an element of it, that there is always going to be that little voice there. There's always going to be a little bit of that, and that's good. You've got to channel that then and put in the practice, continue to learn, continue to gain more experience, continue to learn from other people, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I, think, I think you just need to, yeah, at the end, I think you just need to kind of embrace it. Mm. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that there's a parallel with something like public speaking. Mm. Like... You, you listen to some of the, the best keynote speakers in the world and you ask them, do you get nervous mm. before you like, they all get nervous. Yeah. Like that's okay. That means that it's meaningful and that they're driven, as mm. you said, driven to do more and driven to, to make that experience for the people in their audience even better mm. every time they go out. Mm. So that's okay and that that's a good thing to mm. have that mm. where it where it paralyzes you from having that oh i need to go and take some money from you now mm. kind of conversation i think there's again like public speaking sometimes you just need to go and do it a lot yeah and you you get used to understanding okay well i'm feeling a bit anxious or feeling mm. a bit funny right now about mm. doing this and while just the repetition of doing it you go okay well I'm going to feel a bit funny, mm. but it won't last very long. And then yeah. I'll be on with something else mm. and away we go. Like there's, it's, it's going to be there mm. and that's okay. And guess what? That person wouldn't have walked through the door if they weren't okay with paying you. They Bang. understand Bang. how Bang. transactions work. Mm. 
why they're going for a service and how services are provided. That's how the world works. <laughs> Someone comes to see you at your job and they pay you for that. Mm. So, you know, you're most likely the person who is most uncomfortable about it as a practitioner. Mm. The other person is expecting you to give you, um, is expecting you to give them your professional opinion and your best advice you can give and your best plan and provide you with the most value possible. It is then not up to you to take that away from them by going, oh, but, you know, I don't want you to have to, mm. you know, be in financial burden because of this. Mm. Yeah. Provide your best opinion, provide your most value, and then that side should sort it out. They will decide whether, yep, this is worth it, or no, it's not. That is a great place to finish. I think so. I reckon. I think so. That's a good amount of time I think we spoke for as well. I like that. <laughs> How, how's your second beer going? Better than the first one, actually. It's, mm. it's growing on me. The Hawaiian Haze Pale Ale. Yeah, we might keep this one. Mm. Um, right down. It's got a really kind of... I, I drink... I, <laughs> I drink... I buy most of the beers we drink based on how the bottle looks. So, to, to beer makers out there, if you're not making a cool looking can, and it's not attracting my eye, when there's a million colours in this cold room of tinnies, you're not going to get me, alright? No, and you're not going to be a sponsor of this podcast. No, so, exactly. So, you need to fix your design, Yeah, and then we'll buy you. Ballistic Beer Co, though. Well done to reach you. Reach out to us. <laughs> um, I don't know how you reach out to us. We don't care. Just, <laughs> just, just try. Just try. <laughs> just shout really loud and we'll, we'll hear you. We'll, hear you. we'll see you coming. All right. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.